Thank you for downloading this sermon from Trinity Presbyterian Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. For more information about Trinity, visit our website at www.trinityspartanburg.com. Uh, last night I was looking at uh, a map that showed the spread of Christianity and how quick it spread across the whole nation, or nation, the whole globe, right? It just spread through ancient Rome to the whole world um, in a matter of centuries, the whole known world, the civilized world at the time. And uh, I was thinking about little conferences like this um, can have big impact. And they can have big impact if you will take the word that God is speaking here and you'll reform yourself, right? Everyone wants uh, to, you know, change America, but uh, it starts with you actually repenting of your sin. It starts with you actually applying this to your life. And I'm always interested, I, uh, some of the circles I run in, uh, they want to talk about how government should properly exercise authority. What's the biblical way to do government? And yet they can't exercise self-control. And yet they don't exercise uh, authority in their home rightly. And they don't respect the authority that's exercised in the local church. So things always start with self-governance, right? It always starts with you applying the word. So you're not here for someone else today. You're not. You're here because God has brought you here sovereignly uh, to challenge you. And uh, people know my pet peeve is when uh, someone hears a sermon I preach or Andrew says, oh, I wish so-and-so would have heard that, right? And I, I want to say, I wish you would have heard that, right? And uh, so I want to challenge you to think, what is God saying to me today through his word? What is he saying to you? How is your attitude about work, rest, and recreation? How does it need to be reordered to give God glory and to experience the, the blessing that comes with submitting to God's law, right? To submitting to God's word. There's a blessing with it. So that's my challenge for you. So let's welcome Pastor Mark again and uh, open up your hearts. Thank you for that psalm, too. Boy, you want to talk about a powerful call to submit to an all-universal cosmic reign. To bow the knee, kiss the sun, repent. Okay, let's turn to Exodus chapter 20. Well-known passage. We'll be considering... Aspects of 8 through 11. And as you're turning there, as you're turning, quick quiz. What's the difference between grain, grapes, and bread and wine? It's not a trick question. What's the difference? Grain, grapes. One hand, bread, wine on the other. Any guesses? No. So. True. But, but what gets it there? Work. Work. So see how work is taken up into the very basic substance of 
eating and what we memorialize in the Lord's Supper and celebrate. The difference between grain and grapes on one hand and bread and wine on the other is labor. It takes work to get it there, right? I meant to say that last night, so I just had to get that out. You know, one other little quick thing I didn't say. You know, we're talking about the this all-encompassing vocation and call that God gives to every human being to take dominion, to subdue the earth, to till and keep the garden, right? Labor. And what that requires is land. <laughs> you have to have a plot, a spot over which you take dominion and which you subdue. Labor requires land. So there's a sense in which, if you think about it, we didn't really get into economics, but you can't think about work in abstraction from property rights, land, ownership, stewardship issues. And what's interesting, when you look at the history of nations, those places that value that place a high value on individual land ownership and property rights that allow people to own pieces of dirt versus the state owning it or the kings owning it in feudal system and you just kind of tend to their land. Those places that place, those, those countries that have systems that place a high value on owning, individual owning, have very, very high productivity. <laughs> productivity goes up. Because God has created, he wants all, he's called every single human being to the task of tilling and keeping. And so the more we maximize the capacity for every human being to do that, the greater the productivity is going to be. It just makes sense. If kings own all the land, they're going to keep you down. (laughs) If the state owns it, they're going to regulate you to death. (laughs) And that always suppresses productivity. So, Basically, I want to make that point to show that labor, our work, can't be talked about in abstraction from some of these other things, property rights, land, you know, ownership. There's systems that are more or less conducive to us being able to carry out God's call to subdue, to take dominion. Wish we could like expand that all over. But anyway, okay. Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 through 11. Let me read this. This is the fourth word of ten. The Ten commandments given, written with the finger of God, given to Moses on the mount that he takes down for the people and that apply to the nations. Verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it, you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Father, help us to Submit to this, your word. We're coming before you in the name of the one who is over all the nations, who holds all authority in the universe. 
And we come as those who would bow the knee even in this moment of reflection on your word and would submit ourselves to these good counsels directly from you. So Lord, soften our hearts. Give us the gift of being able to believe and to obey. In Jesus' name, amen. Here's what we want to do. You see here that there is this deep pattern, there's this deep structure within creation itself of six plus one. It is as deep and real a reality as murder is an offensive reality, as honoring our mother and fathers and authority as not lying. It's a deep, 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 deep part of the fabric of the universe. It's the way God set things up. It's part of the order and structure of things. The six plus one. And it's modeled, as we're told here, on God's own activity. God acted first to work, create everything with the apex being humanity, man, the sixth day. And then he entered rest. And he says, I set things up this way, and this is what my people are to do. So it's godly to follow after God. So it's part of the moral universe and the fabric of it. And so we can't talk about labor, the six, without talking something about what is not labor. (laughs) The implication is we labor six days, but there is this not labor aspect. So if you talk about work, we have to also talk about that which is not work. If labor exists, the non-labor exists in contrast to labor. And let's fill in that (laughs) non-labor. The six is labor, and there's this one non-labor. It's actually even a bigger, bigger principle than that. And what occupies that space of not work that's in contrast to the other work we do are realities like Sabbath worship, rest, play. So we can't talk about work without talking about worship. We can't talk about labor without considering liturgy, liturgical service, work, worship. We can't talk about activity of a productive creation ordinance kind without talking about rest. So here's the point we don't want to do. We can't understand work without understanding the worship that forms us for work, the rest and recreation that restore us, and the play that reorients us. And let me just run through a bunch of like points. They all start with R, and they all jump off of this reality, this dynamic of this command to, to labor, but also to rest to play, to to worship that are related. As we talk about the not work aspect, 
Okay? So the first one, there's a bunch of R's. Well, well, let me lay them out for you. They're connected, related, some are distinct, but we'll just go through them. Regulation, remember, rest, reflection, achieve, uh, rejuvenation, and recreation. All right? How many is that? Regulation, remember, rest, reflection, rejuvenation, and recreation. So six. Regulation. Worship. Sabbath worship is a regulation. It is a duty, but it is also to be a delight. Duty, you know, gets the job done. It's irrespective of how we feel about something. Duty is, we're supposed to do this, we just do it. We carry it out. We do the actions necessary without respect to other factors. So duty gets the job done, but the light fills it with experiential satisfaction. When you have the light, you're enjoying the duty. And the Sabbath is this regulation that is both duty and the light. And those go together. And a lot of people don't, I don't know, think too deeply about this relationship. I remember John Piper, famous former pastor up in uh, uh, Minnesota, writes books and things. I remember he used this illustration about it being his wife's birthday. And he comes home with flowers for her. And he gives them to her. And he gives two scenarios. He says, you know, he brings the flowers to, her, to her, his wife and he gives, a, gives them to her. And she says, oh, thank you, honey. And she's pleasantly surprised. She likes beautiful flowers and all. And he's remembering her, remembering her and celebrating her. And then John responds with, well, it was my duty. What's, you already know. That is not how that's supposed to go. The right response is to giving flowers and his wife finding delight is, Honey, it was my delight! (laughs) But he still carried out his duty, as it were. He did what you're expected to do, but it was accompanied by the right kind of existential, experiential state. His duty was attended by delight. (laughs) And so the duty of worshiping God, of stopping everything else, (laughs) when the world is racing neurotically in its own direction, in resistance to the dominion of Christ, and his call to us to, to take to bow the knee in worship in all of life. And resistance to that, we stop everything. <laughs> we see it as our dutiful command to stop everything and find the light. <laughs> if we attend dutifully, the light will often follow on. Our affections follow our actions. And that's important to say because we live in a time that is tyrannized by subjectivity. If it feels good, you do something. No! (laughs) God has ordered such things that if we submit to his commands dutifully, 
the right affections follow on. Affections follow our actions. Delight follows on duty. And he says to set apart time to worship him. This is why Isaiah could prophetically announce that you people are not calling the Sabbath a delight. (laughs) You know, it sounds like if somebody says, be happy! (laughs) No, but we're made to worship God. And so the call and command to the duty is for our delight. And we will find that delight when we attend to what God has called us to do. Because you recognize, and Jesus says this, that Sabbath is made for us. We're not made for it. It is an actual, it's a gracious, caring reality intended for our good. (laughs) It's not a tyrannical, maniacal uh, 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 command from a God who is intent on just making life hard for us. It is for, we're wired to worship God, to set apart time. So the delight will follow in, follow on duty. You know, someone had mentioned, I read someone, a theologian talked about how, you know, a student might go to college and study music, you know, study Mozart, right? And you say, okay, so why are you, why are you studying music? Why are you studying Mozart? In college. Oh, to get a degree. Why do you want a degree? To get a job. Why do you want a job? I need to earn some money. Why do you want some money? So I can pay for Mozart concerts. Do you see how the duty <laughs> can turn so easily into delight? The motive can, can switch. You're doing something to get this, but then you, you, you initially want that thing that you we're dutiful about, it actually becomes a delight to you. And every one of us here has had those times where you've dreaded getting up, going to church. You know, hard, it's just a specially difficult morning trying to get your kids ready. Your wife or husband aggravated you. You know, you're just like not in a good, in a good mood, right? Cranky. You don't really want to be there. You don't. There's people there you've got a little spat with. You don't want to see them. Only to carry out and to push forward and then to find that you greatly delighted in being in the courts of the living God. And then you're ready to be sent out to love and serve the Lord having worshipped him, but not having wanted to worship him, really. See, uh, delight, joy, you know, those aren't things that do magical feelings that we wait to just come down on us before we engage or do anything. We follow what God calls us to do and we trust him to accomplish his (laughs) good
good ends, and we trust that those, the right affections will attend righteous actions. So duty and delight go together. We're called to, to delight in this thing. Because the Sabbath is it's a duty, it's a regulation in which we find delight. We're told to remember the Sabbath in verse 8. And remembering something, this, we shouldn't think about this as just some abstract knowing or thinking. You know, like we're remembering that in our, our, our multiplication tables that 9 times 9 is 81. No, not remember in that way. It's active. It's kind of like when Paul says, remember the poor. He's not just saying, oh, there are poor people. <laughs> no, we remember with intent to act. Like when the scripture over and over says that God remembered his promise and then he acted to preserve. He moved in such a way. So this isn't just kind of Plato thinking about abstract ideas and facts. It involves knowing and doing. (laughs) To remember the Sabbath, to keep it. There's a knowing and there's a doing aspect to to this. And this gains greater urgency when we reflect on the fact that we are really in a culture now and time and increasingly secularized where it is something like Sabbath worship is just completely forgotten in the common cultural imagination. It's just not even a consideration. uh, Sunday is fun day. It's the day that you do what you weren't able to do on every other day. Now, maybe it's holding on a little better down in the southeast, maybe slightly better, as opposed to the, you know, the northeast and the big cities and things like that. But it is just almost completely forgotten. And in the midst of that, the church and believers are called to witness the fact that we remember <laughs> it, to live it. Memory. Remember, rest, another angle in this. In contrast to labor for six days, we are to literally stop doing certain things and rest. There is to be a cessation of a certain kind of labor that occupies our life most of the week. And to take up rest or restful kinds of activities. Ones that enable us to delight more deeply in what the Lord has done, what he is doing, who he is. This kind of Shabbat or Sabbath rest is set directly over against laboring for six days. So obviously it's got to be something different than we've been doing most of the week. And that does include things like eating. You've got to eat. <laughs> you know, and, and there's, there's things, works of necessity, works of mercy, and we're not going so deep into all this. This is really just a challenge for us to give consideration to the reality of this deep principle. And there's a myriad of ways that it, it works out. But we're called to rest, to literally stop doing certain things and do other things. And, and it's also a reminder to us that workaholism 
will destroy you. This neurotic giving of ourselves incessantly will destroy you, your soul. We're not made to, to work endlessly. We're not built for endless striving. We must come away and rest. I used to minister in and around New York City, and I would tell these new, these new young, neurotic New York City Christians that, look, you either are going to enjoy Sabbath or you're going to be on Xanax. <laughs> this is your, these are your options. You're going to have a high therapist bill and prescription drug, or you're going to have Sabbath. What is it going to be? Are you going to stop striving to get to the top of your Wall Street firm? Or to be a partner in that distinguished law firm? You, know? you will have Sabbath, or you will, are you going to be on Xanax? And a lot of them are a meth. You'd be surprised how many finance people, Wall Street, these super high-functioning meth addicts. And a lot of it is for people that profess Christ because they won't do it in God's prescribed way. They won't rest and come away from their striving and their neurotic laboring. Modifying something great theologian John Murray said, we can be certain that a great many of our physical and economic ills proceed from a failure to recognize the sanctity of, and I insert this word, only six days of labor. And there are other kinds of rest. It's not just a matter of Sunday worshiping the Lord on the Lord's Day in light of his resurrection. It's profitable to take Sabbath rest from things like social media <laughs> to distance ourselves. And I am I'm just, man, I'm going in on myself. I just, I don't know that I, I go an hour without checking email or Facebook or Twitter. We need to rest. We need to show that these things don't own us and rest from them. And other things. Resting from, Sabbath from certain foods. And, and you name it. We could just start going down a list. Things that we need to show that they're good things that aid us. They're not necessary things that give us life. We need to rest from things, not just our larger vocational sphere in order to come apart and worship God. Rest. Reflection. When Genesis 2 says that God created you know, the heavens and the earth and, and, and went through the six days and created man, and then he rested, that's not the rest of inactivity, right? Because God continues to work. The Lord Jesus is working now. He's doing his Father's work. So it's not the rest of complete inactivity. What is the rest of achievement? Of reflection, as it were. It's God creating, resting in a sense of, ah, that was good. That was good. And then summoning us to labor work, rest in sense of reflecting on God's great redemptive and creative acts. And going, those are good. 
your works do praise you. Great and mighty are you. In six days you made that. We reflect on what he's done. Uh, uh, one of the guys in the church I was ministering at recently, he put on Facebook this picture of one of these really complicated jungle gyms. You know? And he said, and he was bragging, saying, you know, he spent all Saturday doing this for his kids, right? And he puts up the picture. And it was a nice, I didn't realize these things were so complicated. It was really nice. And I was like, I said in church and preaching, I said, he put that up. You were were resting in the achievement of the previous day. Your work, and you were admiring it. (laughs) And this is what God does. He works and builds, and then he rests in the glory of what he's done, and we're called to do the same. So there's a reflection that has to happen. Our Sabbath is of a reflecting on the mighty acts of God in creation, right? In six days he made it sit there. But in redemption, he delivered his people with a mighty, strong hand. He swoops in, delivers them out of Egypt. And Israel and the people of God are called to reflect often on God's mighty work of redemption, not just his works of creation. So we ha- that takes some time to reflect on. <laughs> so part of Sabbath and worship is this reflection this rest of achievement aspect. There's this rejuvenation. These are all interconnected. There's this aspect of rejuvenation or restoration of soul. We need a kind of rest that actually uh, re-energizes us. That kind of makes us ready. You know, the land was to be given a Sabbath. You read uh, Exodus 23 and I think Leviticus, maybe, maybe 20, Leviticus 25, uh, where Israel was commanded to every seventh year allow the land to be left fallow and let the poor gather and things like that. They could just take whatever grows and just it was theirs. But so that the, you don't wear it out, right? I'm not a farmer. Some of you are, maybe grew up in uh, agricultural settings or whatever. I'm told. That is so that you don't empty the necessary nutrients for good, healthy growth, right? Leave it fallow for a year, and it can replenish, and then you go six years at it. Now, if that's true of the land, how much more of humans (laughs) who are worth much more than sparrows and land and plants? So we need a Sabbath in order to be rejuvenated to be restored, to be re-energized, to keep going. And then every seventh Sabbath, right, uh, it was uh, the Jubilee year. It was a big Sabbath year, the 50th year. You need your soul rejuvenated so you don't walk around like this. And so you don't scream at your kids and your spouse and yell at your boss and cuss at them under your breath. You need to be restored and rejuvenated so you can tackle that stuff again. You need to know and be reminded that God can run the world without you. That if we stop on the seventh day, God is more than capable of sustaining and maintaining by his kind providence the creation. Ain't nothing going to happen if you stop. 
So it deals with our control. <laughs> our need to be in charge. Remember, dominion can become domination. Part of Sabbath is saying, no, you're not ultimately in control. I am. Come away. Be restored. Rest. Next one. Recreation. Recreation literally means recreate, to make anew. <laughs> right? God himself creates ex nihilo. Right? He didn't need something to make something. He creates it. But we recreate out of the material he first provides. All of our creative work is a, of a recreative work. And then there's a reason that the word recreation has come to be associated with play, with games. And the reason is because when we recreate in certain ways, it has a way of renewing us for work. It has a way of recharging us because we're tending to something else, and then it, readies, it recharges us for this other thing we do most of the time. And if I recall right, you know, when schools got rid of things like recess, maybe they have in certain parts of the country, I guess, I don't know if it's a national thing, whatever, they got rid of recess where kids could recreate and be playing and play and do games. It really hurt the learning process, especially for boys. <laughs> Our testosterone needs this recre recreative outlet in play. And, and girls too, but in some unique kind of ways this affects boys, it seems. Even the Puritans, you know, I was looking up some, some Puritan stuff. Even they saw, well, they called it diversion. They didn't call it play. They called it diversion. They recognized it wasn't just a nice nicety, but it was a good thing that actually helps. Here's what Cotton Mather said. Richard Baxter says in his Christian directory. But Cotton Mather said this. He says, men and brethren, we would not be misunderstood as if we meant to insinuate that a due pursuit of religion is inconsistent with all manner of diversion or play. No. We suppose there are diversions undoubtedly innocent, yea, profitable and of use to fit us for service. <laughs> By enlivening and fortifying our frail nature, invigorating the animal spirits, and brightening the mind when tired with a close application to business. <laughs> He's saying it's not just nice to play, it actually, that recreation enlivens us and invigorates us for service. <laughs> so play is actually a good thing. Because look, when you work, when we do our jobs and it, it kind of forms us and trains us to see the world in a utilitarian way, that the world is for our use. Play actually forms us to enjoy God's gratuitous overflow of blessing. It shows us God has actually created some things for just enjoyment of him. Not utilitarian. It doesn't have to be for business purposes or to gain. Think about dance. When people dance, <laughs> you know, time to mourn, a time to dance. You don't have to dance. It seems extraneous in some ways. But it's actually something you enjoy for its playfulness and its gratuity. And it actually enlivens you <laughs> when you dance out of deep joy 
It enlivens you. It's got to be ordered. You know, you can't just go nuts and for no purpose. But it actually, it actually has great purposes. And games and things like that. They enliven and invigorate us and, and, and they reorient us so that we don't just use the world and abuse it, but that we actually enjoy it. And then can go back to doing those things that are of use and, and productivity. One author said, the Sabbath is a feast day that remembers our leisure in Eden and anticipates our play in the new heavens and earth with family, friends, and strangers for the sake of the glory of God. You know, in order to fight, (laughs) and we're called to do that now, we fight now. In order to fight, we have to feast. (laughs) We have to feast. We have to take in nutrients and joy and remember the goodness of things. We have to sit at the table, eat, feast with one another, and then we're ready to fight. You know, the Navy SEAL, uh, just thinking about this, you know, one of the big things they have before they go out on one of their high-dangerous mission, right? So he's getting to see all this rigorous training. They make sure that these guys are happy with their wives <laughs> and kids and things, that their relationships at home, and that home is good. Why? Because if it's good, you got, you're energized to fight well and get back. <laughs> so we've got to feast and worship, and that sends us out to fight <laughs> and to work, only to come back to feast again. We need this. We need these R's. We need worship. We need the Sabbath. We need all this rest. We need recreation and these things because they're very much integrally related to labor and to work. And one more thing. just to, I forgot when we started. We started 45 minutes ago, didn't we? 9, 10? Okay. So 40, we've gone 45. One more point here. Um, We see this in Christ, the 6-1 pattern, not just something in creation. When we see it in Christ, one of the things that's opened up and revealed is that we labor, and I kind of indicated this with the feast and fighting, we labor now in Christ, you're a believer. We labor from a posture of rest. We don't labor for rest. Christ says, come to me, I will give you rest. And then what do we do? We obey him. (laughs) We keep his command. After he has given us rest. We have given soul rest from the son who has worked and labored and continues so that we might rest in him in order to then labor. We labor from rest we don't labor for rest. Have you ever read Scarlet Letter? One of the most profoundly and psychologically insightful books on guilt I've ever seen. Reverend Dimsdale, adultery committing pastor. He's hiding it throughout the whole book. One of the chapters, the minister's vigil, talks about him engaging in all these ministerial activities. Right? He's so guilty, what does he do? He starts praying all night. He, starts, he beats himself. 
The congregation says his sermons took on an, an, an exceeding kind of urgency. He preaches harder. And the man is falling apart. <laughs> and it hit me. You know what he's doing? This is a picture of a man who is laboring hard in his work in order to get soul rest from guilt. And it ain't working. <laughs> Destroys him ultimately. Sorry if you've never read to the end. <laughs> he was laboring for rest when he should have, and we all, rest in Christ, recognize what he's done, the great work of redemption that he's done and released us, released us from being captives to the evil one, has taken our sins on himself and blotted them out on the cross, establishing peace with the Father, justifying us with this declaration of not guilty, making us holy and forming us, adopting us as sons, giving us an eternal inheritance. He's done all this work and calls us to rest in that. That makes the most kind of zealous laborer. <laughs> Ones who recognize what we have. It doesn't make us passive. When someone gives you everything, you feel, this, is why, this is why there's laws against uh, companies giving gratuities and contracts and things like that. Because they know that you feel beholden <laughs> when a company gives you gifts. <laughs> you feel beholden to them. That's why you can't do it. So we labor in Christ. Our fighting is from having feasted, having rested in him. We don't fight and labor in order to get the feast and the rest. They come from him and then we, we go, we unsheathe our swords <laughs> in light of the one who took the sword in himself. Okay, that's, that's it for the, some Sabbath points, some worship points, and the rest points, things.